everybody. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not. And today is Thursday at some point in some month, and I think it's 2021. Is it? Yes. Uh, happy to be here with you today. Yesterday, we, I think, had a great class about Lepanto. And uh, today, I'm going to do a couple things and then get us into some parables. And I also, I didn't know, like, I didn't walk you through the Battle of Lepanto because I don't know how to describe naval battles. Right, I, I just don't. Um, uh, it, like there were other people, and then some people, and then like the one group. Like okay, they moved toward the other group. That was that's how I do it. Mm-hmm. But if you want, I did find a description of the battle that I can try to read to you with my limited skills. So if you want that, let me know, but I won't be very good at it. I'm just going to be totally candid. Uh, I told you what I know. So uh, we've got that. We've got some parables. And I also want to start us off with a little tribute to uh, a local, uh, well, two people. First, uh, Bernice uh, was a member of Holy Family for 8,200 years. And spry, sharp, wonderful. You may remember, she's commented on the show numerous times. Um, and she's just a, a wonderful, I, I just love her. She's one of the first people I met here. Uh, but she went to be with the Lord this week. So I'm going to ask us to pray for her soul. And she is the only 93-year-old who, when she died, we were all shocked. Seriously. was like, What? Did not look. Did 93. not look 93. At all. Um, yeah. So, bless her. Uh, she's, huh? And the last time she married, she was 85. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? She got married at 85. Man, Bernice, my girl. Uh, she loved the Lord, faithful to Mass. COVID was tough for her. She was stuck at home. Uh, but she popped in on the show. She was on our parish Facebook page every day. Um, just a joy. And we're going to miss her. Uh, so I wanted to uh, point that out to you. The other thing is, uh, I don't know what we are. Are we central Michigan? What is Flint? Whatever. Mid-Michigan. Bay City, Saginaw, Midland, Flint. Uh, We lost somebody, Dale Kildee. And I just wanted to start off and talk a little bit about him. Uh, Dale Kildee served as a U.S. representative for Michigan. Ready for this? From 1977 until 2013. Right? Uh, And he went to be with the Lord, I think, yesterday. Um, So I want to tell you a little about him because... Michigan Democrats were a totally different thing when I was a kid. Uh, They were really the last, as I've been told, uh, stronghold of pro-life Democrats for a while. You had David Bonnier, Dale Kildee, uh, you had Cherry, you had all of these guys from, I'm not kidding, from Flint, who went to seminary and then became politicians. And were, for the most part, pro-life Democrats. Although, as the party, the Democrat Party, got more and more... Um, yeah, what's the word? Uh, feral about abortion. Uh, some of them did, too. But let's walk through it. So he was born in Flint, Michigan. He went to St. Mary uh, Catholic High School. Uh, When he graduated, he went to Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit, where I went, where Bishop Earl went. 
uh, where Bishop Vinke went. Yeah. <laughs> he then went to the U, uh, University of Detroit and got a teaching degree. He did further studies. Ready for this? I did not know this. I just found this out this morning at, quote, the University of Peshawar in Pakistan. Yeah, he, he was awarded uh, an academic honor and sent overseas to study in Pakistan. And when he got back, he went to the University of Michigan, graduating with an MA in 1961. Okay, what did he do? He taught at U of D high school for the next two years, and then he moved back to Flint, where he taught Latin, I think, at St. Mary's. Yeah. He successfully ran for office and became a representative in the Michigan House from 1965 to 1974. And then he served in the Michigan Senate from 1975 to 76. So then he ran for U.S. rep. Okay. He got 70% of the vote. Yeah. And he served... Uh, I believe, let me look, I wrote this down seven, he was reelected 17 consecutive times and he received well over 50% of the vote every time. Uh, just a neat cat. And this is what I wrote. He served the office faithfully and diligently until his retirement. His politics and mine aligned less and less as we both got older, but I don't think anyone ever questioned his character or his commitment. Like when we were, when I was younger, if you called, you got an answer. And Bill Harris and I were talking about this this morning. He ran that office in such a way, and this will shock you, but to actually serve the people instead of his party. And um, anyway, he and his wife, Gail, uh, had three kids, two of them boys who served as captains in the U.S. Army, and his third, a daughter, who served as a commercial property manager. So uh, he died last night, 92 years old, I believe. And I just wanted to thank the Lord for him and help us remember a time when Democrats and Republicans worked together and considered each other ideological opponents, not enemies. And uh, he's one of the last of those guys who served the country and the people before his party. And I'm very grateful for him. I'm grateful for his service. Um, so I wanted to point that out. Now, do you know his nephew now serves in his office? Da I get them so mixed up. Dan, right? Dan, yes. Dan. Uh, and um, yeah, so anyway, there we are. Dale Kilty. Mm -hmm. Jesus love him. You know, I don't, none of them are left now, right? You know, Bishop Earl one time said a fascinating thing. He said, I didn't leave the Democrat Party. They left me, yes. right? And a lot of us feel that way about Republicans and, and Democrats. And in Michigan, historically, if you ever get a chance to read about this, the South considered Michigan the worst state in the North during the Civil War because it was the most wildly abolitionist state. True, right? It was the number one destination for the Underground Railroad. Yep. Uh, you can still come to different homes in Michigan and see the uh, tunnels, right, where they used to help escape slave. Michigan, the state of Michigan in the U.S., because there's a Michoacan in Mexico, um, had a real beautiful history until recently of standing by the vulnerable and the downtrodden. Um, 
and I, you know, I, I don't know what to say. The whole abortion thing breaks my heart. It just breaks my heart because it ruined a really good party. It did. It absolutely. And they lost so many. If you would have said when I was a kid that we would ever have a Republican governor, no one would have believed you. But it was really the abortion issue that wedged a lot of people in Michigan away from the Democrat Party. Uh, so anyway, crazy stuff. God bless Kildee. There was also Bonnier. He was in seminary. I mean, there was a ton of these guys. All from, anyway, bless them. <clears throat> so that's what I wanted to start our show off with today. If you're not from Michigan or if you don't like Dale Kildee, then you should fast forward through the part I just did. How's that? Mm. Today I'm not drinking Coke. I'm drinking, or coffee. I'm drinking Pepsi. And here's the interesting thing. I think I didn't clean out my coffee. And it is a bad taste. Yeah. Like really weird taste. And I like Pepsi, so it's got to be, like I remember seeing the little coffee in there and thinking, well, that won't make a difference. It made a difference. Yeah. Coffee, Pepsi mix. Coffee. Coffee or peffy? There you go. Peffy. It's peffy. Pep Pepfy. Okay. So, uh, do you guys want to get into parables? Has anyone said anything? I, I, uh, yeah. They're just, um, I thought Canada was the number one destination, but would really appreciate a link to read more about the undergrad. Oh, yeah. So. Canada was the destination. Sorry. Um, Michigan was the destination in the U.S. Yes. to get you to Canada. Right. Um, uh, I remember reading a book called Any Color As Long As It's Black. Uh, do you know what, did I, have I talked about this? Yeah, I read this I in college. So. Yeah. Uh, a guy named Hurtler, I think. I can't believe I remember this. But anyway, it was a book about Henry Ford uh, made the first car, the first Model T mass production car. But he would only sell it in black. It's the only color they could do. So their slogan was, you can buy a Ford in any color as long as it's black. And one of the things Henry Ford did was import black people from the South in huge numbers into Michigan. Um, and he created a very strong, thriving black middle class in Michigan. But I remember reading in the book that before that, um, black folks in Michigan tended to be descendants of the runaway slaves who settled in and tended to be highly educated and successful. Uh, now, guys, I read that 40 years ago, so I don't know for sure. I don't even know why I got the name of the book right, uh, but I'm pretty sure I did. Anyway, um, so let's see. Uh, if you look up this phrase, you're going to laugh, but I actually remember this from a book that Michigan was described, I think, by President Lincoln as, quote, the hotbed of abolition. I, I, somebody described Michigan that way. And again, my gosh, I haven't thought of this in 40 years. Why, why are we talking about it? I can't remember. Does anyone remember? How did we get here? Oh. Slavery, somehow, Underground Railroad, Michigan. Oh, Kildee. Yeah. We're talking about, okay. Yeah, that Michigan's always had this history. Uh, anytime you have a state like Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, primarily settled in the beginning by German farmers, you're going to encounter religious conservatism and social liberalism. That's the way it always was. 
right? Uh, Germans found slavery repugnant. Poles found slavery repugnant. Um, and they settled these areas. So we've always had that uh, reputation. Michigan used to, excuse me, again, the Democrat Party and the Republican Party have changed so radically in the last 20 years. All these rules don't even apply. But back then, you could always count on Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin to be religiously conservative and socially liberal. Uh, but now we're just a mess. Um, so, sorry I couldn't help you on that book. I'm, I, I, oof, it's been a while. Yeah, I'm not finding no? it quickly. Um, okay. Well, we're, sorry. We're have, we have Haviland uh, neglected heroin in the underground. Okay. You know, if you want, try Googling Michigan and abolition. Yeah, I... I, you know, I, I, the name Leslie Tentler comes to mind, but no, that was Seasons of Grace. That was a different book. Okay. Um, I'll keep looking. Okay. Anyway, so uh, with that then, do you want to get into parables? Yes. Yeah? Okay. So my new glasses uh, broke. Look, I'm going to sue. And you know who I'm going to sue, right? That priest. Because you know I did it. I remember the guy gave it to me, and I was like, Chief, I can, I'm hard on glasses. And he said, oh, you can't break these. <laughs> Challenge accepted. So I'll put on, I'll put on the little glasses, uh, and we're going to start with Luke 12, 13. Okay? Uh, Luke has a nice run of parables. I, in fact, if you have, and I believe we're sending this to Ed Weird, this Bible, the greatest New Testament Bible in the history of it's, the yeah. world. I, I passed it on today. Nice. I was, I was delinquent last week. I was kind of out of it. Carrie's a sinner. Yeah. Oh, her daughter gets married, and she thinks it means she's busy. Uh, if you look on there in Luke 8, they actually give you this whole chart in this Bible of all the parables. It's very cool. Yeah. Oh, no, it's only if you have this specific Bible. Yeah. So uh, one of the things I want to remind you of is that when Jesus tells parables, he's using images people in that day and age would understand to teach them about God. Right? To teach them about God. And uh, you might think, well, of course. But honestly, no. You know, there was a time in, our, in my lifetime where priests always used parables to teach us about ourselves. Um, or not always, listen to me, where that, that seemed to be the thing. What can we learn about humanity? And that's important because God knows us. So when he describes us, he's right. But Sean uh, Larkin really helped me understand this. Parables are about God. Should, this is the kingdom of God. And when we say the kingdom of God, we don't mean what you might think. Um, it doesn't refer to territory. It refers to allegiance. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, what he's referring to is all of us everywhere who submit ourselves to God, right? We recognize him as our king and our Lord. Okay? So with that, let's look at Luke 12, 13. Um, and Jesus comes out swinging on this one, okay? Uh, whoops, I passed it. So first I'll read it to you. Um, and gosh darn Oh, I lied. Okay, there we are. One of the multitude, okay, so when they say multitude, they just mean not disciples. One of the groups of people hanging around Jesus said to him, quote, Teacher, bid my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? Isn't that a great line? Man, 
Who made me? Right. So real quick, you may remember in, when Jesus multiplies, when Jesus turns water into wine. Did you see I forgot my shirt? It's all good. It is? It's still black. You're still okay. black. It's just kind of funny because I'm never cold and I'm slightly cold. And I keep doing this, and all of a sudden, that's when I realize I just am wearing my... I must have taken off my clerical shirt at some point. Anyway, uh, what were we talking about? Oh, no, no, no. I'm good. Thank you. Excuse me. Um, I'm wearing shoes. Do you see that? Okay. Uh, Oh, Jesus turns water into wine. Remember this? Where Mary says to him, they're out of wine. And Jesus says to her, woman, what does this concern of yours have to do with me? And people are like, woman? You know, no, no. He said, ishi. Uh, it's very sweet and dear. It's a, it's a lovely, yummy term. Uh, and in this case, when he says man, like he's not saying, hey, man. You know, he's just, dude. <laughs> Literally, he's using a colloquialism. Brah. We, that's what Jesus would say today. Brah. B-R-U-H. Brah. Uh, and what is Jesus' point? Seriously. I'm not a judge. I'm not a divider. And then just, this is Jesus' response, okay? Quote, take heed and beware of all covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Covetousness, craving other people's stuff or craving stuff. Then Jesus told them this parable. The land of a rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. Then I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay. So let's be candid. You know, well, let's walk it through. Jesus is asked to resolve a family fight over money. I think, yeah, I think I can say this. I can say this definitely with a clear conscience. One of the most common things I encounter is families tearing each other apart over mom and dad's money. Sometimes when one or both are alive. I would say that this is one of the most common things I'm asked to help with. And I'm horrified by it. I'm telling you the truth. I'm horrified by it. Um, I have told people when they've asked my advice, just get out. Tell your family, you take it. Well, Father, I need that money. Really, it ain't yours. Why were you counting on it? It was never yours. It belonged to your mom and dad. You have no right to anyone else's money. You cool with this? Mm-hmm. And I can truly say, it's, uh, come Holy Spirit. At core, there's an issue of greed at work in us. There's an issue of entitlement at work in us. As a priest, I think it's the thing that does the most damage to families. Fighting over money that is not yours. You don't have a right to mom and dad's money. And um, you don't have a right to their stuff. And I hate talking like this. I do. 
But I bet you a bunch of you listening know exactly what I'm talking about. And I bet a bunch of you listening have some sense of what I'm talking about. And I bet a bunch of you listening might be thinking, oh, I can see that coming. Yeah. So if I may be so bold, I think at least part of what Jesus is telling us, what does he tell this guy? This guy might be right. He might be wrong. Jesus doesn't even comment on that. I think Jesus' point is, if keeping the relationship, your family is worth more than money. There we go. I think that's at least part of this. Okay, Jesus responds by teaching about the danger of wealth. Wealth is, listen to me, you're going to hate this because I hate it too. Wealth is, for a Christian, a dangerous thing. Okay, because... Did you see that uh, Bezos, and I'm going to pick on him, but he's a quadrillionaire. He can deal. Um, send another th- rocket into space for recreation, you know, and for knowledge. I don't know. There was no knowledge here. Um, you know, like, and that's be funny. There's literally people in this country <laughs> who don't have basics, and he's spending, and he has billions of dollars. Now, listen to me. I am wildly opposed to communism. I am wildly opposed to government-mandated wealth distribution, okay? Uh, The government never gives back power you grant it, okay? But should the government have to tell me that if I have a billion dollars, shouldn't I just know I need to give a lot of it away? I don't need to live subsistence. I don't. I'm not saying that. But at what point do we say, what right do I have to this much money when other people, like, do you realize if you have a billion dollars, you can spend a million a day and not lose your money? Do you realize that? You can literally not lose a billion dollars. If, if you have a billion dollars, this is a fact, and you give one million dollars away, you'll always stay ahead of the curve. What would one million dollars do for the poor in your community, right? And that's why I don't want the government to take it. Because what would the government do? Get bigger and need more money and do less to help. That's my opinion. I sit here sometimes and I think about all the things I'm worried about in our church, right? Our building and grounds. You know I sit, Carrie, and I fret. I fret about tuition. I wish, what do I always say? If I win lottery nobody's paying tuition again, right? And I literally mean that. And on one level, what I recognize is that would be awesome. I'm just going to say it. But here's what I also realize, and, and hear me out. I'd pray less. I would. And the more I pray, the better priest I am. And you need a better priest more than you need free tuition. Our parish needs to be holy more than we need free tuition. And the only way to get holy is to pray. Okay, now that's not the definition of holy because you can spend your whole life praying and not helping anybody, and that's just stupid, right? And it's actually bad for your soul. But prayer is the foundation of everything. Prayer is oxygen for our soul. And did you hear how God said, I'm going to require your soul of you? He didn't say your life. The man was choking his own soul to death. Because you know what I've described about that culture. People were dying of hunger next door. And what did he do with his extra grain? Well, he stored it. 
well, what about that dude? What about that dude? What about that dude at? Dude at from the Latin dude ere, which means to dude. Right, these are tough. You gotta remember, Jesus is tough about wealth. Because in the end, what you and I want to recognize is when we get money, usually our first response is to try to figure out how not to lose it. And then once we figure out how not to lose it, then our first, our next response is how to get more of it. It's pretty rare. In fact, I don't think I've encountered many people who said, I have enough money now. Okay. There's always, well, I'm almost there. Right? And I'm not speaking against people having money. I'm speaking against money having people. Yeah. Um, and money is a powerful, powerful thing. Is this making sense? That Jesus is trying to help this guy see whether your brother is being just or not, there's a deeper trouble here. Wealth can kill you, your soul. It can kill your soul. You won't, you won't understand dependence like a poor person does. You, you know, you've seen those videos, and I know they're cheesy, but of like the guy who gives a homeless person a sandwich, and then he watches the guy split a sandwich with another homeless guy. Rich people don't do that because they don't understand dependence. They've not had to be dependent. And only people who know they're totally dependent on God can get to heaven. This is why Jesus said that last week. I preached on this on Sunday. How hard it is for rich people to get to heaven, Jesus said. Right? Why? Because everything about money is the opposite of the spiritual life. Money's not an evil. Money's a good. But as the scripture says, the love of money is the root of all evil. And again, I've seen families, more families shredded by it than not. I think that's fair. So this guy hoards his resource and he considers those resources the, 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 the source of his security and that's the problem. God is the source of your security because God is the eternal thing. The money passes away. You don't know this dude's name, right? Money, wealth, power, all passes. God doesn't. He follows this up, right, uh, this parable. And I'm going to read it to you, and it's a little long, so I'll try to skip around. Okay, how are we doing so far? Yeah, are you guys with me? You guys with me? Okay. So after Jesus tells this story of this guy to whom God appears and says, I'm getting your soul. Your soul is taken from you, right? Jesus then said to his disciples, so I tell you this. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Because life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They do not sow. They do not reap. They do not have storehouses or barns and yet God feeds them and you are so much more valuable than birds. Which of you by being anxious adds a cubit to his span of life? If then you who are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I promise you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow thrown in the oven, 
how much more will he clothe you? O man of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Do not have an anxious mind, for all the nations of the world seek these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek first his kingdom, and all the other things will be yours as well. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you these things. Isn't that something? What's he saying? Well, remember, well, you don't remember, but just a chapter before, he teaches them the Our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. Wealth obscures that from us, and it can blind us to the needs we can meet, but don't just so we can hold on to something that we didn't need in the first place. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. So that's Jesus taking a hard swing at a culture that back then the assumption was if you were rich, it's because God likes you. It's because you did good. If you're poor, it's because you screwed something up. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that ain't it, chief. That ain't it. In the words of the gospel, that ain't it, chief. So our call is to be dependent and recognize God's personal care for us and to use our wealth for others as much as we can. Um, I don't know. I want to say something. Um, if I have a million dollars and I give you 10,000, that's okay. That's not a sacrifice. If I have $10,000 and I give you a thousand, that's brutal. And I see it all the time when I write the little thank you notes for our collections. And I see those people who I'm like, how are they giving this much? And they don't, yeah, it just blows me away. Blows me away. All right. So then Jesus tells some other stories, not stories. He gives some other teachings. His next parable in Luke comes in Luke 13. Um, Luke 13, 6 through 9. And this one's kind of weird. Okay. It's kind of fun. Quote, and Jesus told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and he found none. He said to the vine dresser, look, these three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? The groundskeeper answered, the vine dresser answered him, leave it alone, sir. This year also, I will dig around it. I will put on manure. And if it bears fruit next year, well and good. If not, you cut it down. <laughs> okay. All right. Um... The fig tree here, what is Jesus doing? He's given us, I think, I always mess these words up, I think an allegory. Okay? So if you look at Hosea 9.10, Jesus, and Jesus does this a few times, he does it in Jeremiah at some point, but he describes Israel like this. I found you, Israel, like the first fruits of the fig tree. I looked on your ancestors. So the, the fig tree in what we call the Old Testament is a sign of the Old Covenant. And what's the point? Um, that Jesus is saying, right, three years. Remember who lived on it, who, li who taught and lived and ministered for three years? You got three years, the old covenant. Let's see if it bears some fruit. It didn't work, right? Uh, it wasn't bearing the fruit God longed for, but God is what? What is the vine dresser? Jesus, who just describes himself that way. He's saying to God the Father, be patient. Let me see what I can do. 
give it time to bear fruit. This is us hearing about how the kingdom of God is patient with the process of conversion. Patient with the process of conversion. When I was a kid, how I interpreted it was, well, you just give your heart to Jesus and then it's all good. And what it took me forever to figure out is you give your heart to Jesus every day, every hour, every minute. <laughs> because that's how many times I'm faced with a choice for good or bad, virtue or not virtue, holy or not holy, that it's a process and we learn. I think I was just sharing this with you, um, that, and I can't remember if I said this on the show, but like I look at young priest Joe and priest Joe now, and I'm ashamed sometimes of young priest Joe. Not ashamed is the wrong word, embarrassed. Now, he did his best, right? And I know him, he had a good heart, but I made mistakes, I did things wrong. Um, I, 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 I could go on and on, and I think of them sometimes and I feel a sense of sorrow. I wish I was better back then, and I wish I was better now. But what I felt like the Lord told me is, well, you're better now than you were then. So something's going right. Um, I need to be patient with my process of conversion. And, and as I am, then I'll be more patient with your process of conversion. We don't all have to be hitting home runs every time we get to the plate. Sometimes we'll walk, sometimes we'll strike out, sometimes we'll get to first, sometimes we charge the mound. I don't know what the equivalent of charging the mound spiritually would be. But that parable is about two things. One, that God is patient with us in the process of conversion, but it's also this. There is a reckoning. That tree is going to bear fruit or get cut down. And so while we are patient, the flip side of the coin, we're also challenging ourselves. I can do better. Oops, sorry. I can do better. I am not holy enough. When will I be holy enough? When I am exactly like God. Until then, long way to go. I mean, you guys, not me. I'm all set. I've plateaued. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks like we, there's questions. All right. Well, I'm saving some for tomorrow, but I mean. No, oh, I like this. This okay. helps. Right. Um, oh, that's funny. Okay. First one is not funny. Sorry. The second one is fun. Uh, I know anxiety is wrong and we shouldn't be anxious, but it's not like I can just stop. I pray all the time and I worry all the time. I even worry that I'm praying wrong. If I could stop, I would, but I can't. So I'm, am I destined to go to hell for going against what Jesus says? Oh, you and I are related. Yeah. Uh, I am an anxious, worrying person. Uh, I got you. Okay. Um, oh, first thing, you're not destined to go to hell for, well, if you were going against what Jesus says all the time, yeah, you're destined for hell, but you're not here. When Jesus talks about anxious, he's not talking about the emotion because we can't do anything about the emotion, right? Like you, I'm telling you, I read this. I'm like, did I write this? But I didn't. You're sure. Yes. Okay. Whoever you are, I feel you. Uh, even this morning, this is what I got to do. I sit there and I'm trying to pray and I'm praying because I'm there and I'm getting after it. But anxious thought, anxious thought, worry, worry, blur, 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 right? And what am I worried about? Oh, everything. 
things I can't control, things I can, things, uh, you know, I, I can do this. And I learned this on my retreat, my last retreat. Here's the one thing. All of a sudden I realized it's the shoulders. I have to go, okay. And I put my shoulders down. Okay, Lord, let's start again. Then about 30 seconds later, I'm like, crap, shoulders down, right? All I can tell you is he must find it hilarious on some level. We're just his little knucklehead kids. Has he ever failed to get us that peanut butter and jelly sandwich at noon? No. But man, at 11.50, we're worried. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. And I think you and I and everyone who gets this need to understand how beautiful it is to him that we're trying so hard to not be anxious. And so, Lord, I give you my anxiousness. Last night, I snuck into confessions 20 minutes early. Well, I always start confessions 15 minutes early on Wednesdays, right? But I came 20 minutes before that because my anxiety was through the roof. I was shaking. I was so anxious about a lot of things. And so I went, and when I got in the door, there were people already kind of starting. I'm like, shoot. And I, of course, got anxious about the fact that I'm anxious and about the fact that I wanted to pray because I'm anxious, but there's people waiting, which makes me anxious. <laughs> I said, no, I'm going to sit with him first. Normally, I would have just jumped right in the box and cowboyed up. Nope, I'm going to sit with him. I hope I'm making sense yes. here. And I just did the process. I looked at the cross, and I went, this is my tiny cross. It still hurts. I'm not demeaning the suffering. This is my tiny cross. I'm better on the cross with you than anywhere without you. Right? My anxiousness, I think, sometimes is an abundance of love. Sometimes it's an abundance of fear. Uh, I, this one was a whole lot of different things. But I just breathed him in. Right? I just breathed him in. Can't help how I feel. All I can do is give him how I feel and keep calling on his Holy Spirit. It's not willpower, it's Holy Spirit power. I hope I'm making sense. So you, you do you, right? And keep giving it to the Lord and he sees your crazy little efforts and he loves them. Yeah. I hope that was helpful. Yes. Oh, good, okay. I have a friend in Holly, Michigan. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I have a good friend in Holly, Michigan. Rye, rye. Okay. Uh, oh, no, there it is. I have a friend in Holly, Michigan interested in checking out the Catholic Church. I pointed them to Holy Family. Well, thank you. Uh, what do you say? Did you carry 12 Jesus points? 12. Well, maybe 14 for crossing over to different dioceses. That's true. You are crossing a diocesan boundary. We shall award you 12 Jesus points. Yes. Redeemable toward your salvation. I also wanted to encourage them and not scare them off. Then you shouldn't have sent them here. <laughs> All right. Uh, can you suggest a book that would help them from your friend at Celtic Cove? I love Celtic Cove. You remember Celtic Cove yes. Catholic Bookstore? Yes. Best I've ever said it. Did you hear that? Yes. Celtic Cove Catholic. Now, now I can't say it. Let me drink my coffee, Pepsi. A book to help them... What? 
really is bad. Never, ever mix Pepsi and coffee. Drink out of that blue thing. That's Dad's. Oh, water. Mmm. I'm not sure what you mean, like a book about what? Sorry, like about Catholicism? Or about mass? Or about Carrie's drinking? My psychosis? The dog's gas? My drinking can be wrapped up in a tweet, not a whole book. Yeah, we can wrap up Carrie's drink. No, uh, all kidding aside, I'm not sure what kind of book you'd be looking for. If it's, if it's an intro to Catholicism, to me it's tough to beat Peter Crave's books. Um, book I think it's basics of the faith I think no a Peter I'm sorry for my head they have a lot of podcasts though oh yeah if you know in fact this might sound self-serving and it probably is but I don't mean it to be um last night I got a letter from a dude in LA who wants to learn about the mass they're not catholic but he and his beloved are thinking about going to a catholic church and i had him watch our mass series we did here yes i know doesn't that feel self-serving i feel so bad about that but i feel like we did a good job i do we worked hard and um carrie was sober for like two hours of that we were all impressed so at that i'm sorry i don't know how to but if you want Send Carrie their name and let us know when they're coming, and we'll make sure and welcome them. And I'll be like, welcome to the parish. I'll, I mean, I'm going to freak them out. Now, you've given me a goal. I want to scare them off. <laughs> or at least um, scare them back to St. Rita. Right. We'll get them back to whatever church you say. <laughs> All right. I don't feel like I was helpful on that, but I had fun with it. Okay. And I love Celtic Cove Catholic Bookstore. I said it fast again. All right. Okay. How are we doing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. How's anxiety person? Did they respond? Was that helpful? Okay. I said anxiety person. I'm sorry, but you guys know so what God I mean. is happy. I'm trying not to be anxious, even though I fail miserably. I feel like a total failure. Oh, here's when you're a failure. Okay? When you don't ask for God's help. When you endure something like this. And I know. I wake up in the middle of the night anxious. Okay? Seriously. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. See my anxiousness. Soothe me. Heal me. Remind me. Okay? Um, you only fail when you fight it alone. Yeah. That's it. And I wonder what that anxiousness is. Because again, sometimes mine is obviously fear. A lot of times it's fear. But there are times it's just a crap load of love in my heart. And I think that's pretty cool. I'd rather suffer for a lot of love in my heart than for being a jerk. Oh, carry that one question. No stipend. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just didn't want to forget. That's what yep. the text was. It was from the bishop's office. Nice. How are we doing? Okay, let's take a look now at Luke 13, which is commonly referred to as the bad luck chapter. I'm totally kidding. Uh, Luke 13, 18 to 21. You guys ready? Sure, sure. Okay, it's two parables back to back. Yeah, people are fat and happy. Woohoo! All right. Uh, Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It's like a mustard, a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. 
Again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. So God's kingdom, what's the idea? The tiny little mustard seed and the 10-foot mustard tree, plant, bush, whatever it is. Okay. The tiny bit of leaven in a measure, was it three measures of meal? Let me look. Hold on. Um, yeah, I don't know. Where'd it go? Three measures of meal, which is a lot. You take three measures of meal, which is a lot, and you put in a tiny little bit of leaven, and that leaven expands and affects the whole thing. You take a tiny little mustard seed, you put it in the ground, and it grows. Again, you're going to laugh, but what's the key here? Patience. Patience. A tiny bit of God does a ton of good. A tiny little bit of the kingdom of heaven on earth does an obscene amount of good. Um, and it's also an image of a small band of disciples. I mean, think about this, guys. Just Catholics, let alone all the other types of Christians, but just Catholics. It's about 1.2 billion of us. So if you meet a human anywhere on the planet, there's a one in seven chance that they're Catholic. Think about that. Now, not literally, of course, because China doesn't have a ton per their population. And you know what I mean? But you get the idea. One in seven humans who exist right now are Catholic. Then you take Christian. Now just go Christian. And now it's a two in seven chance, which I'm sure mathematically is something else entirely, is it? I don't know. And all of it started with 11, you know, fishermen, tax collector, radicals, right? Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the other one. Um, Simon the Zealot. I mean, how insane is it, guys, that in the year... 33 AD, there was really no such thing as Christianity. And now it's 2021, and it's the biggest religion in the world. How insane is that? That's a tiny little leaven. Do you think when St. Thomas the Apostle was getting ripped to pieces, that he could have even envisioned that the church would ever be bigger than two, 3,000 people? No way. Do you think the little Apostle John sitting on the island Patmos writing 1st, 2nd, 3rd John in the book of Revelation, do you think he thought anybody would be reading that 30 years later? No. Tiny little leaven. Crap load of good. Whenever I think of that, I do think of Mother Teresa, right? Little 17-year-old Albanian nun who just got off a train in the poorest area of the world and said nobody here is dying alone if I can help it where thousands of people die every day of disease and hunger it changed the world I mean isn't that nuts that is the power of good versus the power of evil think of it this way if you want immediate results go with evil If we're just, I mean, please don't. Please don't go with evil. But when you and I sin, at least part of the reason is because it's a quick, quick fix. It's scratching the itch, but it's making it worse. It's short-term relief, long-term destruction. 
when we are connected with our Lord and we choose virtue, it's short-term pain, long-term construction. Is this making sense? That's the leaven. That's the mustard seed. It's the church. Okay, Maurice. It's the church. And the church is you. And you are the church. This miracle that the tiniest bit of good makes a huge difference. In fact, I'm going to tell this crazy story. Seriously. Um, there was a man and a woman more than 100 years ago who uh, had farms across the road from each other. And his family was sketchy. Dad had been to jail. <laughs> uh, these boys were all roughnecks. And on the other side of the street was a young lady um, who was one of a billion kids who was pulled out of school in, I think, fourth grade to raise the family because mom died. Okay. Um, and they met. They shouldn't have met because he was a German Catholic and she was an English-speaking half-Protestant. Okay. But they fell in love. The priest wouldn't marry them, right? He was German, and English and Germans don't marry. And so they moved to Flint and got married civilly. And the husband went to church every day, and she came along. She loved her husband, but there was, in her words, quote, no way she's ever becoming one of those, right? They were so mean to her. And a young priest was assigned to their parish who this woman liked. She, she was kind of fun, and he was kind to her when everybody else treated her like crap. Now, back then, this was pre-Vatican II, so if you were in, my, in this man's position, you went to church, but you had to sit in back, and you couldn't receive communion, and you couldn't shake people's hands. You could, And because she wasn't even Catholic, she wasn't even allowed to stand, kneel, or anything. She had to sit in back. But this priest was good to her and kind. And so she became Catholic because of him. And he gave her a rosary, right? So she held on to that puppy. She prayed every day. And she raised two boys. And one of those boys was my dad, right? This is my grandma and grandpa Krupp. And when I told her I was going to seminary, it kind of freaked her out. She said I should get married and have a lot of kids. Uh, but when she saw I was serious about it, about a year before she died, she gave me the rosary that that priest gave her. And she said, if you have to be a priest, be like him. So then about, I'm bad at the passage of time, 10 years ago, that priest, on his 95th birthday, I gave him that rosary back. And I said, 70 years ago, you were kind to a woman. And one generation later, later I'm a priest. Isn't that cool? A little bit of leaven, crap load of good. I, I love that. Evil always seems to win because it's so immediate. But man, good is powerful long-term. Yeah. All right. I've talked a lot today, haven't I? What time is it? Oh, we're doing okay. Yep. Okay. 
Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, well, I guess, oh yeah, people are happy. Okay, well, I hope then you don't mind if I knock off early. Um, I've got a meeting coming up anyway, and I probably should eat before that, but uh, I love you guys, and I'm so grateful I get to share my heart with you. Uh, I also want to thank you for something that just struck me the other day. One of the things I learned, well, now I'm going to probably go over, early on is vulnerability, not early on, vulnerability is the key. Yeah, for a Christian, if we want to be like God, we have to be vulnerable. When I think of the three biggest experiences we have of God, when the incarnation, when God became a baby, totally dependent, um, the Eucharist, where Jesus gives himself to us in the form of, of bread, which we can break, throw away, ignore, desecrate, and of course, his crucifixion. And what all three of those to me have in common is vulnerability. And I've been, that's something I've tried to exercise, to not hide my scars, to not hide my humanity, um, or pretend I'm better than I am. I hope I don't do those things. I try very hard not to. And I got to tell you, for most of my priesthood, that's not worked out for me in terms of I think we don't know how to honor vulnerability. We only know how to crush it. And sometimes I get crushed, and rightly so, because I'm broken. I'm a sinner. Sometimes I get crushed because other people are broken. You have always treasured vulnerability, and I honor you for that. I really do. I thank you for it. Um, because that's scary. It's scary to put it out there sometimes. Uh, although it's also liberating because now no one has expectations of me. I'm just kidding. But so I do want to thank you for that. Um, it means a lot to me. And uh, I encourage you, uh, and, you know, don't throw your pearls before swine, right? That's a quote right from Jesus. I mean, be careful. But for me, who doesn't have a wife or kids and who's not dependent or de no one depends on me in that way, I'm a little more free to try to show you what I believe appropriate vulnerability looks like. And that's with all my mistakes and sins. And uh, sometimes I overshare and sometimes I undershare, I, I'm sure. But through it all, I feel very loved by you. And I'm so grateful. And I hope you sense my love for you. And I hope we all realize that it's not really our love. It is a love that God put in us. So, yay you. Uh, thank you, Lord. I'm going to wrap us up with a prayer. And I'm going to ask us, uh, oh, shoot, I should have talked about our saint today because that guy was psycho. Uh, but anyway, uh, I won't because we don't have the time now. Um, Shoot, because he is psycho. Uh, but I'll ask us to pray if, again for Bernice and pray for um, uh, Senator Kildee um, that uh, Jesus get them both home soon. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, conversion is such a process and help us to be patient. Help us to give our all and to be content with that. You don't need our perfection. You've got plenty. Help us, Lord, to not be greedy people. Help us to not be owned by money or property or possessions. And help us to never forsake family, 
for the pursuit of more stuff. You know, Lord, there's a bunch of us that are worriers. You know, there's a lot of us that carry anxiety around. And we don't like it. And so we give it to you. For those times it makes us pray, we are so grateful. And for the times we don't pray, we're so sorry. Through it all, you love us. So may we respond with love by giving you our pain and our worries and our fears. For the people and circumstances that we do worry about, Lord, we, we give them to you. And we love you and we trust you. And may the blessings of Almighty God be with you all. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Tomorrow is question and answer. I will see you then. Peace. Is it over? No, it's never over.